0: All right, welcome Chapo, listeners, Amber here, and we are joined today by a very special guest and audience favorite, Matt Maney, a Teamster of Local 251 in Providence, Rhode Island. So, uh, welcome back, Matt, thank you for coming again. Um, So the elections are coming up, the Teamster elections, Uh, we're going to talk a lot about that, but you're a huge audience favorite, so... Um, people have spoken, and they'd love to hear about your experience in your local. Um, how you became a Teamster, what uh, your workplace experience was like, and how it's changed, and what it's been like organizing in your local.
1: So I started out in the Teamsters in 1993. Uh, I was all over the place until I made the seniority list at UPS. Uh, from there, I got introduced to socialist politics. Uh, which brought me into union activity through the ISO at the time. Uh, and from there myself and Mr. Taby, uh, we engaged in union activity, ran for steward, became steward of my shift, organized companies, uh, got involved with organizing, started salting companies. That's where you go in with the intent uh, to apply for a non-union job with the intent to organize them. I did a few of those. I've been on picket lines, I've been arrested, And it just went from there on and on and on and on. And eventually became a union rep, uh, elected by the rank and file in 2013, took office in 2014, and been here ever since. Um, And it's been a long journey, but it's been a great journey where uh, we've had a lot of ups and downs, but we're uh, we're happy now. Our our slate, Teamsters United, with Matthew Tabies on, is about uh, ballots are out in the mail now, and he's about to get. He's about to be elected as vice president uh, of the International uh, for the East. And from there, uh, our our saga continues,
0: uh, yeah. developing
1: rank and, rank and file power, building socialist agenda, uh, building rank and file committees that build uh, real true, new, true union activity, that bring rank and files and empower them because that's the base of our union. That is our engine. That's what makes us float. That's what makes this boat work and uh, taking our fight all the way to the street, if need be. Our big campaign coming up is UPS. Their contract's about to expire, and we'll we'll embark on that after this election, and we're going to get ready to rumble.
0: Awesome. So uh, I assume that when you started your local, it wasn't uh, easy getting everyone on board with the rank-and-file movement. I'm guessing that was a little bit of an uphill battle. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So for many years, it was myself, Mister Taby, and another gentleman named Jimmy uh, James uh, Jim Jim Jacobs, uh, who's now retired. But for many many years, it was just us outside selling Socialist Worker at union meetings, uh, trying to attend those meetings and and basically network rank and file members who would want to get involved in our politics. And uh, for many many years, we were the outcast. Many many years, nobody really wanted us around. They would kind of red bash us, but we we hung tough and stick to it through TDU, which was a big b- part of that, what gave us a voice and educated us and got us down the right road to becoming union officials.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people sort of start out salting with this idea that they're going to like, they're like, well, I know how this stuff works and all I have to do is tell everyone and they'll be like, yeah, totally. <laughs> and they'll jump in. <laughs> right. Right. So TDU, Just for Democratic Union, we'll talk a little more about them later. They really gave you a, a leg up. Uh, how did you hook up with them?
1: I hooked up with them through the ISO with Mr. Tavey, uh, where we had our first meetings as small rank and file groups. They would have what they call educational seminars where they would travel around small groups, maybe six people. Um, and we that's how I first got introduced to TDU. I instantly fell in love with The process of PDU, which is teams for a democratic union, it's transparency, it's rank and file power, it's empowering rank and filers to run for office and educate them uh, on how this works and the process of which it means to be a union rep. Because the easiest part is winning the election, the hard part is after that. And that's what they really teach you, how to run a local and, and change the dynamics of where you came from. We came from a very corrupt local. Providence, Rhode Island had 45 years of the same regime it was mobbed up. Uh, there was a lot of bad people that ran our union here, and uh, we had a big task in, head, uh, in front of us when we took office, and we took that on, and we've really have changed the dynamics of what goes on here in Providence. We have election committees. We don't we don't increase our salaries unless the rank and file is, uh vote for approval. Uh, You know, uh, total transparency. We sold all the union cars. We got rid of all the union credit cards. We went more to a socialist platform where it's about rank and file power and bringing teamsters and union people and that's within our community as fighting as a group for our political agenda.
0: Right. And it's just the sort of thing you really can't do from the outside. It does seem that people you know, they take these legalistic approaches. They're like, "Well, we'll pass, we'll pass a labor law and we'll do this and like labor laws are great, but uh if you don't have the muscle to enforce them the uh, you know, UPS doesn't really care what the law is.
1: Right, right. Yeah, UPS is probably one of the most egregious employers that we deal with. And we, you know, we it's a daily battle every day there.
0: Great. So I think that's a, that's a good segue to talking about UPS. So there's going to be a negotiation coming up, but I think a good place to start, I mean, we can't start from the very beginning because Teamsters history is huge, but the very last uh, UPS contract was a huge event and it seemed like you know they talk about there being sort of like low turnout for uh, Teamsters elections and it's kind of like low turnout for any election it's like well people haven't really had anyone to vote for for a while and the union really hasn't done much for them for a while so they're disengaged but this latest UPS contract was So egregious that it seems like it really activated a lot of people. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Maybe the was the vote no
1: campaign? Sure. So UPS traditionally was the best contract in North America. It was the leading contract that other contracts expired to be. What they did, the Hoffer regime under Dennis Taylor, Ken Hall and Jimmy Hoffer, they took the best contract in North America and they effectively ruined it. Uh, and they created a second tier. They call those those drivers hybrid drivers. And this caused a huge ruckus into the union where it energized people to want it. They were so angry and so upset with the fact that the IBT was the one that proposed the language to actually create the second tier. It re-energized everybody to get involved and start actually stepping up and remembering the importance that elections do have consequences and that you have to exercise your democratic right to vote. We have 330,000 employees at UPS, right? I think we may be at 127,000 people vote if we were lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, this outcome now, because of this second tier and the and, the, and basically the, the sham contract that the Hoffer administration placed onto the rank and file, and then basically crammed it down our throats, even though Majority of that number voted it down. They still implemented an old rule of which we just got rid of the two-thirds majority. Um, they still implemented that contract. It just re-energized the whole entire rank and file to get involved and to be more receptive and listen to people who have a different plan, a different vision, which is democracy, which is transparency, which is having rank and filers at the table with us when we when we do this contract, making sure that everybody's on the same page and not hiding behind some two thirds rule that basically crammed down a contract on somebody's throat that they don't want. We want people to be empowered. We want people to stand up. We want people to take on corporate greed and we want people to fight back and understand the issues within that, which is healthcare, which is, you know, uh, 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 pensions, which is critical in this country at this point, a living wage. We see it now how important this is. And our IBT prior to this just dropped that ball. Sean O'Brien and Matt Taby have picked up that ball and now they're leading that fight and they're fighting the fight that workers need to hear, which is hey, you do matter. You have rights. Organize, join a union, get out there and fight back and take on that corporate greed and stand up as one and fight for health care for all. Healthcare is not a privilege, it's a right. And these are the dialogue, this is the type of dialogue that we're hearing more and more from our members, which has empowered them and that empowers us and it keeps this whole fight going. It's really solid and it's it's a wonderful thing to watch. I've been privileged to be part of it and I, I'm blessed in that aspect.
0: Right. It seems like, I mean, you know, my understanding from it, I had only read a little bit about it, but it seemed like everyone who voted, who was aware of this contract voted no immediately. I mean, before when it was just in talks, there was already like a vote no campaign. And so, The majority won. They voted against it. And they they, like IBT found a loophole, like this weird little two thirds loophole. Like, well, not enough people voted for it to matter. It's like, of course, not enough people voted. You're not telling people that there's a vote going on.
1: Right. Right. And it really angered people because it was a rule that was placed, I think, from 1932 into our bylaws. It had never really been executed. And just
0: like small print bullshit.
1: Right. Exactly. You know, you you bought it and didn't read it because you didn't see it. So, you know, it just enraged people. It empowered them to say, hey, that's it. I've had enough shit. I'm going to stand up and I'm doing something and I want to hear about the other side. And that's what empowered people like us, because we've always been out there broadcasting this. But now it's on more of a national level. And this is the first time in my lifetime. And I've been doing this 31 years that people are very receptive to medicine for all. A living wage, a real minimum wage of $22, $23 an hour in America. You know, uh, paid family medical leave, uh, paternity, maternity leave, same sex uh, rights for all on the job. I mean, these things are crucial and they, it it just needs to happen. And now there's more people beating that drum because of what happened with that contract. And it just brings, opens dialogue to it all.
0: Well, the Teamsters are, I mean, you can't, outsource those jobs it's a very useful (laughs) and i mean out out of the teamsters yeah there's uh it's like 1.4 million members in uh the u.s and canada and like a quarter of those are ups i mean these are people who even more than before like now uh, keep keep the world going keep keep i mean like we're now hearing about supply chains being a major issue uh because well we don't have a lot of domestic production in this country and it has to come from other places so people are just stuck on boats the only sort of network we have are the people who drive those trucks
1: yes that's true and i mean that that domestic supply chain that you see the issue is that that's corporations running away from paying a living wage and dealing with unions so they took all their production moved it to foreign countries and now we're in this situation that we're in that's a whole nother argument but yes mm-hmm. Truck drivers are the link to keeping America moving. Most recently, just today, the president came out and said, you know, the Teamster Union is going to, we're going to uh, waive a lot of the DOT regulations. We're going to allow them to work 24-7 so they don't have the seven-day roll-off so that we can right. move. good." And I, And I just hope that Americans see that these union men and women are sacrificing their lives, their families, their time at home where some people may be able to have that time. These men and women don't. They're behind a wheel, making sure you're getting your goods, making sure that the economy doesn't collapse. And not that I'm a big capitalist, because I'm not, but <laughs> we need the supply chain to continue. But these men and women have dedicated their lives to making sure that that doesn't happen. And they also delivered you your vaccines. They yeah. went to work when they were sick doing that. I mean, it just keeps proving time and time again that workers of the world are the, are the might. We are the engine of the world. It's not the rich, it's not the 1%, it's workers.
0: So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, I mean, there's quite a few like egregious, like the the working hours have become insane. Um, there's some, a lot of people are complaining about give back. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and about the two-tier worker system, because these are the big, these are the big ones, correct?
1: Yeah. So the working hours at UPS are horrendous. They're currently 60, but now they're going to go to 70 because of what, with the uh, supply chain.
0: Well, they could hire more people. <laughs>
1: They they are trying, but there's not a lot of people that want to drive trucks anymore. Sure. It's, very, it's become increasingly more difficult to find help. And the other reason is COVID. A lot of people do not want to take that chance and work in those kind of environments and maybe get COVID. Uh, granted, the vaccines are up, so that's going to be hopefully changing soon. But the two-tier was a bad deal. It's effectively the same driver as an RPCD, which is a regular package car driver. That would be me to a hybrid who works Tuesday through Saturday. He makes six dollars, he or she makes six dollars less an hour than the RPCD. He gets the same health and welfare and pension, but he has no nine, five, or eight hour request rights. So he can work, they can work that person unlimited. That person has no say, can't file agreements on that, can't raise their hand and say, I don't want to be on the excessive, I want to go on the excessive overtime list, none of that. So There's big differences there. And now you're seeing the corporation basically just using them to to plug all the holes and working them till the point where many of them get hurt or they're out of work because they can't work because they work so much that they got hurt. It's just become a never ending, brutal cycle from UPS onto the second tier that I've never seen anything like it. And it's really the union's fault. The union should have never agreed to it. The only person that I know that has a plan to take this on. Is Sean O'Brien and Fred Zuckerman. And they really are going to take this on with Matt TV and people like me that are going to be willing to get those record files out to fight back. And that will happen next year.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So another thing here that I just think is really strange. That I had to bring up the surveillance and personal vehicle usage that is making its way into UPS jobs. It's like they're becoming like Uber
1: drivers. Yes terrible. So we saw it in some of our other supplements, mostly in the South, um, where they allowed dash cams effectively to go into the trucks and videotape the driver while driving. And then they put surveillance cameras in the back while the driver selects packages. This is a total violation of everything that a (laughs) member would ever vote for or believe in. This is a harassing tool. This is nothing more than to demoralize people to push them to get more production out of them. It's just, it's like we're seeing things because their ultimate their ultimate goal is to basically have autonomous trucks. That's really what they want. They want the truck to be able to drive itself and then have a person deliver the packages. And at some point they want a robot eventually, that's years down the road, delivering the packages. Is that, is that possible that could happen? Yes, it's possible. We see more and more autonomous trucks developing more and more states agreeing to it, more and more states giving dedicated lanes of travel for these trucks. Very,
0: very nerve wracking because it seems like the technology is not there. <laughs> it's not safe.
1: Yeah. And the only one that ever said take that on was Bernie Sanders and he said tax the robots. And uh, <laughs> he was a hundred and that was stop yeah, them from yeah. replacing our jobs. Yeah.
0: Uh, um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the election. So um uh, well, last election we should point out was incredibly close uh, between the reform candidate. It was like forty nine to fifty one, basically, which was this huge, huge upset where the the TDU candidate um, against sort of the you know the the Hoffa regime. It came really, really close. Um, so why? I mean, why do you think there was this huge uh, shift in uh, in I mean, there wasn't a huge spike in in voting, I don't think. Uh, Do you think people are just seeing which way the wind is blowing or do you think they're just like finally getting fed up or, you know, what's it like on the ground in in your experience?
1: I just think that, you know, last time out, it was close. We pushed. We, you know, a lot of people say, oh, Canada was the big reason why. No, we lost because we didn't pick up enough votes in the United States domestically to overcome the 5000 difference. Is that gonna happen this time? I don't foresee that because we're gonna end up getting most of the East, if not all of it, we're gonna get all the central states. So, and there's more voter turnout. We already know that as of today, there's been massive amount of ballots coming back a lot more than last time, this time. So by checking in with the election officers, we know these things. So we know there's more participation this time. There's more, more, more ballots in quicker this time, which means people aren't holding their ballots. They're getting them, they're voting, and they're sending it back, doing exactly what we wanted them to do. Not sit on it, not forget about it, leave it on the coffee table. They're getting it back, which is a good deal for us.
0: Right. It does seem like – I don't I don't know anything about how the election process developed internally, but it's like a six-week period, which does seem to be – I mean, when people are working 60 hours a week, it seems like something – people are like, oh, I'll do that later, and then they forget about it. Like <laughs> – It doesn't seem like the ideal way to, um, you know, uh, solicit a high voter turnout.
1: No, it's not. But I mean, it's a secret ballot. I mean, these these men and women are working 60, 70 hours a week. But that should tell you something that a lot of them are so angered by the way their union has accepted concessions. Hasn't led that fight. The Teamsters are the leaders and taking on corporate America. We always have had that history of going to war and battling and we have lost that history over the 22-year span that Hoffer has run it, uh, and we're fighting to get our existence back, which is to get back to that core union act, that Eugene Debs type of unionism, where we're fighting, and we're empowering people, and we're educating them about our politics. So we see that in this campaign with Teams is United, because people are so angered by what's happened, they want, to, they want their voice to be heard that they're not happy. And we're, we're more willing to accommodate that. We want to fight and we want to do our jobs. We want to clean up this union and uh, and turn it back over to the rank and file. And we will leave this union better than we found it.
0: So, it, you know, cautiously optimistic. But with the, the gains you've been making over the years and how close it was last time, this are going to win. But we should talk a little bit about the candidates. So there's O'Brien and Zuckerman, who are the uh, the Teamsters United uh, slate And then there's Verma and Herrera on the Teamster Power Slate. So Verma is essentially Hoffa's uh, heir apparent. He got the Hoffa endorsement. Uh, Jim Hoffa's uh, uh, retiring finally. I I do think it's very funny that during the debate, the debate, uh, O'Brien pointed out that Verma was uh, Hoffa's third choice. (laughs) Which is a great, great little jab there. Um, but they I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about their varying platforms. I mean, there there are a lot of things they agree on, I mean, at least on paper, um, but there are some very distinct differences. And when people argue that O'Brien is more militant, I think they're not sure exactly what that means. So you want to go over that?
1: Sure. So if you know Sean like we do, and we have the the privilege of being in the Joint council ten in New England with him, uh, Sean, Sean brings union activity to a different level. Sean is relentless. Sean will not back down, even if he's going to lose that fight, and he'll he'll continue to fight. He he has a motto that we live by, which is, it's okay to get in trouble. What does that mean? (laughs) It, It means go out and be the agitator that you're paid to be. Push the envelope get people empowered, let them join the union. Whether we succeed or fail in that process, we're still in that fight. And that fight continues on a daily uh, on a daily basis. That's the key difference between what you have on the other slate, which is it's more of a unionist beha- uh, capitalist behavior where, well, we're more structured about due revenue, we're administrators of healthcare. We don't always wanna ruffle the employer's feathers, we kind of just want to get along to get along with them so they continue to pay the pension and the health and welfare. And we should all be happy about that. No, Sean's in a different uh, spectrum than that. Sean believes that union is, is a way of life. And when you're an agent and you represent that union, that's your life. And, and that means getting up every day, putting your shoes on and going to battle every day, day in and day out, and empowering your members and leading them. So there's big differences when it comes to those two slates like that yeah
0: so it's interesting uh both uh Sean and uh Verma had been had been under uh the Hoff administration differences Sean got fired <laughs> <laughs> uh for uh for ruffling feathers uh over email too by the way so it's worth actually going in and watching the debates I think they're on the Teamsters website it's very interesting because um Verma's criticism is that uh, uh, Sean has been in trouble before and he's like, yeah, I have. Like, you've never been in trouble because you don't do anything.
1: Exactly. Uh, Well, there's many, many instances that we can look at. Uh, We currently have a 20, 22 week strike going on right now at Johnson Brothers Distributors in Rhode Island. They're a liquor distributor. We've reached out numerous times to the beverage division who's currently run. By the Hoffa regime, which is the next group of guys who are running right now with Herrera, um, no, no help. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't. They don't understand networking and what it means to build a campaign, fight as a group, stick together, build the union from within out. They don't. They don't get that concept. Whereas Sean, uh, he does. He understands that completely. And yeah, he's been in trouble. He's had his. He's had his beefs. They they fired him from the uh, as the parcel guy when he was doing that contract and he realized at the end of that last election, wait a minute, we got a problem in this union. We're divided. We need to work together, unify us and then take on the company because we can't win divided. It doesn't work that way. There's a reason why we go by divided. We beg, you know, United, we bargain divided. We beg. And he, he's a reason, you know, he's a leading example of how that works. Unified us in new England unified everybody on the East, gets people behind him and he wants to fight and lead the way. And that's that's what this team's the union needs.
0: Right. So you talk about um, sort of the relationship between like the local and the national and it's all over the place. I thought it was really interesting that um, in the last election, the only, the, the people that really came out for Hoffa were not the people who had their contracts negotiated under the national. They were the people who had like, you know decent or or maybe it wasn't decent but their contracts were negotiated locally and so they had the least contact with with Hoffa. but their uh, you know their officers uh, like were like to go out and vote for Hoffa meanwhile uh, you know the, the vast majority of UPS and uh, I think the airline and uh, a few others were just like no because they were the ones who had the most you know, direct contact with his policies. Now it seems like it's worth pointing out the different ways that Verma and O'Brien's locals have functioned. So uh, another thing they brought up with the, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I'm not trying to tell tales out of school, but O'Brien said they called uh, Verma's uh, local the can-do local. They run it as a testing ground, basically. So like whatever they wanted to try something, right? So like, uh, you know, like two tier things or surveillance or whatever, they would, you know, go to Farama's local, go to Denver and be like, hey, we want to see if this works. And he played ball with that, correct?
1: That is correct. Yeah. And that gets back to the point where I was talking about that it's a get along to, you know, do, do, get along to do along with the employer. So we're still getting our contributions. It's that mentality. It's very passive Um, we don't want to make waves. We, we appreciate the good wage. We appreciate where we live right now. And we don't want to, we don't want to break, you know, bang heads with you. So yes, in many instances, that's what was happening. That became a test area where it was kind of, yeah, just bring it here. We'll try it here. Yeah. Bring that here. We'll try that here. That is not the case with Sean. I mean, you know, it's, it's night and day Sean will argue uh, and stand up and fight for his members and not accept any kind of concession. He will fight to the bitter end. I've seen right. it.
0: And it seems very much like, he, I also love that he says, you've only uh, you've only s- gone on strike six times. And Verma's like, yeah, that's because I'm good. <laughs> already have Trump being like, of course I don't p- pay taxes, I'm smart. <laughs> right. No.
1: Uh,
0: and, I, and just think- for the
1: record, and just for the record, striking is a good thing. Yes, that's right. That's striking is a good thing. It builds community involvement. It shows the community that the union is there to fight and represent all workers because workers are all the same.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think a good rule of thumb is if there's a decrease in strikes and a decrease in worker pay, working conditions, then striking, more strikes is the way to go. You should see an increase in strikes. Now, maybe you don't see strikes for a while when things are doing great. But if you look at the decline of uh, of the work and, in in in, you know, UPS in particular, it's like, well, if you only went on strike six times, you're clearly not trying to do anything to prevent this.
1: I mean, my principal office has been on strike more than that, and he's been in office less time. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're not afraid of exercising that muscle. We we pride ourselves on that because striking is the ultimate tool that a worker has to withhold his or her labor to the employer. And demand more is a very powerful tool and it's a very powerful thing and it should be respected, but you need to exercise that and show other employers, you mess with us, this is what you're going to get. So think twice.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the very least, the employers, you know, it should be a, a threat. They should know. It doesn't mean you have to go on strike all the time, but they should know, well, if we do this, they will stop working and we will not make profits.
1: Right. And um, don't you think that's don't you think that's a problem, though, when you're a union rep and you're running for general president of the greatest union in the world and you're talking about how little times you've been on strike? Right. That that to me. And you got the biggest contract up next year in the world. It's the
0: biggest contract in the world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you're and you're boasting about how you don't have to strike. That's a problem for me. And it should be a problem for the rank and file.
0: Right. Um, so an, another major difference between them, I noticed. So. Uh, When they talked about sort of, you know, increasing, like, the union power, Fairman has this, like, goal for, like, you know, 10 to 15 percent increase of membership. He wants to join the AFL-CIO, which O'Brien is like, I don't know, maybe I'll figure out whether it benefits us or not. And O'Brien focuses more on getting the House in order, like, internally. Like, making it a union that people want to join rather than just expand membership into a meaningless union which you see a lot with i mean like i i'm technically a member of united auto workers as a uh, what i taught as an adjunct teacher but it's like it's because they're really desperate and they have to bring in new people i'm like sure i'll pay dues you know the healthcare and everything but it's no replacement for solidifying you know a a, a militant union um it seems like there's kind of a cart and horse thing going on it's like do we grow or do we you know do we uh solidify internally and o'brien seems to be like well we need to be a, we are the international brotherhood of teamsters and there's it's all completely localized like these things all operate like independent nodes i mean some of that's you know cuz there's no like federal labor law it's all state based or whatever but if that's going to change it will require an international union movement so what is this like what is a a uh, 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 lo local autonomy that O'Brien is is obsessed with in terms of the locals he's like we always respect local autonomy that seems like a very coded word
1: uh well it's under the bylaws. It's in our constitution. Each local has its own autonomy. So, in Rhode Island, the rank and file teams in Rhode Island elected us uh, to run their local and represent their interest and advocate for them. We have our own autonomy to run that local the way we choose to run it. What our policies are going to be, what what our platform's is going to be—that's us. Um, and that's a very important thing because not all issues are the same. Your issues in California. May or may not be the same as the issues in Rhode Island. So that's why the autonomy comes in. So each area has the ability to address or agitate in those areas the way they need to based off of the area they're in. And that's very important. And, you know, it gets back to my point with the other slate where they want to just build the union and grow the union through attrition or, or collapsing other locals into them. And yeah. and it's basically not really organizing. You're just taking some other union and make calling them teams and now you're getting due revenue. And that's what it's all about with those guys is when they figure, well, if we grow the do revenue, then we've effectively grown the union. No, you can't grow the union until your own house is united and in order and working together to grow that union. And when you do do that, and we did it here in two fifty one, the union will attract people to join you. When we came into office. We built over a three-year span. We sh- we changed the books. We were militant. We were out on the street. All the non-union workers saw that and started calling us to get organized and be part of that. And that's exactly what Sean means.
0: Right? You want a, you want a union that's worth joining before you? Uh, why you're know you're gonna grow it if it if it if it sucks? Uh, it does seem like the um, yeah the local autonomy thing is very interesting because it's like, well, obviously on the one hand, you have a completely different, you have different supply chains and stuff that you're working with. It's different rural areas, but Verma seems to think that this means that different locals can accept different standards of work. So like you could try out a new, a new surveillance thing in this local. I mean... In terms of, like, transparency, in terms of, like, setting a basic standard, like, how possible is that if you would get, if you would get, let's say you would get the most, you know, uh, militant uh, teamster leadership, how how would a process like that work? I mean, you got to be, uh, you got to be peeking over somebody's shoulder to some degree, right?
1: Yeah. And that's exactly what would happen. I mean, those, those instances with the dash cams were introduced into his local, uh, that's that's because the IBT, meaning Hoffa, went mm-hmm. to him and said, hey, I need you to try this out in your local. And he went along with it. That's where Sean comes in. Nothing like that's going to ever happen with Sean because that's number one, a concession. And number two, why would we ever give up our rights and allow them to harass us any more than they harass us for production right. standards? So that's not even going to come from the IBT, which effectively would eliminate that. And that's the key to having good leadership on these national contracts is that you have somebody there who's willing to take a stand, fight back, do the right thing with the rank and file and not necessarily be about, well, we just need to do revenue. Let's just get along to be, you know, be friends and you keep making the contributions. That's, we don't want that. We want somebody who wants to lead fight and steer the boat in the right direction.
0: Right. Right. So another thing I just noticed, uh, they tend to be talking a lot about diversity right now that's a huge discussion on on the slates uh, <laughs> uh verba got kind of stepped in it in the first um in the first debate yeah uh where he said uh my the the people of color and the women on my slate are not tokens which is like whoa nobody said they were but also the ins the insinuation is that well, if you're saying they're not, you are at the very least saying that, you know, the the people of color and the women on O'Brien's slate are tokens. The implication being, so I was wondering if that does that have any sort of residence on the ground, or is that like you know, do yes. people talk? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That had a lot. And I'll tell you, um, I was happy that it rattled a lot of the rank and file because that just told me that they were in tune. And they were listening. And that was that was good. Uh, a lot of people were very angered by that, because obviously when he changed it around and said, well, he basically made it sound like that the women that we had were tokens on our slate. And it just it just made rank and filers very upset. Uh, this is a very diverse union. Uh, we yeah. have, you know, we have gay caucus. We have a black caucus, a Latino caucus just in my local I mean, we have all these different caucuses and all welcome. We don't care about your sexual orientation. We don't care about any of that. We only care about workers' rights, workers' justice. You want to do that? Bring it here. Uh, and you can help. Everybody can bring something to the table. And it really showed that Verma and Herrera don't really have a lot to bring to the table and not really in tune with their new membership, their Latinos that are you know, joining this union rapidly, alarming, huge numbers, uh, blacks in our union. They don't really talk about the BLM movement within the Teamsters and how much we support that. So it really drew a shot. It shined a light on that. And you basically had what you had in the old days with the Teamsters, white Irish men. And they kind of brought that whole era back to life. It seemed like when he made those comments, and it just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way.
0: Right, I could I could understand why it's pretty weird, and also it just sort of betrays, you know, like a cynicism about this sort of thing. Like you know, the Hoffa sort of proteges are pretty savvy, and if they want to, you know, join the AFLCIO and and these other groups, they know that they have to at least play some degree of lip service to kind of like liberal identity politics, but. It, also, they clearly don't give a shit if they're talking about it that
1: way. Right. And some of my strongest union brothers and sisters, you know, they come from diverse backgrounds and they have everything to offer this great union. And, and let me tell you, we need more of them. We certainly we with this, especially the Teamsters, they need more. They need more Latinos. They need more blacks. They need uh, the gay population to get them more involved. It's it's. It's critical to our existence in the future to have these populations in this union and fighting with us and in, in, in leadership roles is ultimately what those caught. we we established those caucuses in our in our local to find leaders because we want uh, we want Latinos, blacks, and and the gay population to be in leadership role at some point. We need that. I mean, we won't survive as a union if we don't have that.
0: Right. So um... I know uh, this is the endless thing that I'm sure you're sick of talking about. Everyone is obsessed with Amazon right now. Um, obviously it's like a huge, I mean, it's a, it's a huge workforce and it's an increasing workforce. There've been like failures to unionize, I think for just strategic reasons, like not, not everything was in place yet. It's a valiant effort or whatever, but it seems like if they're, just because of the way the supply chain works, um, even though Amazon is, is providing sort of a competitor uh, uh, to UPS, it seems like the people who would be in the best situation uh, in terms of like just being the largest logistics you know company maybe in the world uh, would be like Teamsters. Uh, like, what is the relationship? Is there like an antagonistic thing? Obviously, you know, I think everyone agrees on every side that. Amazon needs to be organized, but obviously there are um, competing interests uh, here and there. I mean, what's your take on that? What do you think? I mean, I don't think anyone has any like immediate answers or whatever, and there's no like game plan, but.
1: Well, I mean, first and foremost, any worker who joins any union, whether the Teamsters or UAW, IATA, you name it, that's their step in the right direction, period, end of story. Mm -hmm. Do I believe the Teamsters can represent Amazon workers the best? Yes. And I, I believe that because that's a core industry of the Teamsters. Warehouse, logistical shipping, that's what we do. That's our forte. I mean, that's, that's who we are. Um, with that being said, you're dealing with a corporation who is staunched anti-union, hates any kind of worker organization that develops to, over, to fight back and have a voice. We saw that in Alabama. Uh, you're dealing with a corporation that makes billions of dollars. Uh, most recently, flying their CEO to space on a on a weekly basis, while we have you're people sleeping on the sh- yeah, while we have people sleeping on the street and can't get health care. I mean, this is what we're dealing with, and we are got to take a serious look at this with Sean and his plan. And it's going to involve legislative activity from the government to step in and do something. And that starts with us mobilizing. Our core as a union, so they understand that elections have consequences. Don't go out and vote Donald Trump because he doesn't represent your interests. You need to vote for people who do, people who are going to make Amazon on the same playing field, so that we can organize them and we can build that network against Amazon. And that will happen. I believe that will happen in my heart. Otherwise, all all else is lost. But I truly believe. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not a big Joe Biden guy, but I am seeing. The Marty Walsh, who's showing up there now, and he's still got AOC trapping in there, and there's still some positive things happening there. And I like the direction that I'm seeing, and I believe between Sean's plan and some of those legislators, we're going to be able to get something done with Amazon. But it has to be done because Amazon is an egregious employer who does not play by the same rules as UPS or FedEx, and they have third-party contracting no health care, $12 an hour in our area, it's terrible. And it needs to be addressed soon.
0: Yeah, they're logistical sweatshops. It's insane. It's like we've gone back 100 years. And I think also people are broadly outraged about that too, which is a good sign. I mean, the fact that people are like, hey, you know, I'm getting a bladder infection because they won't let me pee. Like it's really, it's really egregious. And I think, uh, I think people know that like, this is not sustainable um i think amazon sure as hell knows it's not sustainable which is why they're trying to like you know uh, you know plug up whatever uh leaks they think they have when it's not uh when it's actually just like a huge unhappy workforce um also what are your feelings on the pro act uh which it's who knows who knows it does seem to indicate that biden is at least not hostile to, uh, you know, which is kind of better than most, right?
1: Right, right. Well, you know, obviously my feeling is, please God, let it pass. Yeah. Uh, I pray to the labor gods every night and uh, that would be a tremendous asset for any union to be able to have that in place, to be able to organize and get people into the union. We might come out of that 9%, 8% threshold for we're up, you know, unionized population to maybe a 40, 50, 60% um do i believe it's going to pass absolutely not uh, mm. and the reason why i believe it is because we have what we call deadbeat democrats who and don't get me wrong i'm not a democrat but they just don't represent workers interests dimensions of the world where they just get up there and they're anti whatever the progressives bring because they that's what they do they have no reason right. why they're being anti it's just that's what we're going to do so if we have people like that in office where they continue to have a voice, we're never going to get that passed. But there are better days to come. I see, I see more people saying, like, why can't I get health care? Why, why can't I have paid family medical leave where I can stay home and take care of my baby or stay home and take care of my husband when he or she is sick? You know what I mean? It's like people want that. And it's gonna happen. It's just a question, does the next generation below us, you know, the 20 to 30? That's where the key is, man. My daughter's age, she's 26. She's, you know, stouts to the left. She's, you know, we raised her the right way. So (laughs) she's out there hitting the street and she's doing her thing. And you see that movement being built with this younger generation. They don't want to tolerate that. They don't care about some never ending war in Afghanistan or some bullshit politician who's just telling you what you want to hear. They want results. They want medical. They want a pension, a defined real pension, not, a, not some bullshit social security plan. So uh, it will happen. In the future, it will happen. I mean, I don't know, hopefully I'm here to see it uh, and and maybe I won't be, but either way, it will happen.
0: Well, uh, thanks very, very much. Uh, that's. I'm actually very hopeful. Uh, it's it's looking good for uh, Teamsters United. Um, I'm going to keep keep a big eye on that one. And we'll definitely have a follow up. Um, So, I'm just gonna end here with a little plug for TDU. There is a GoFundMe. We will have a description uh, for the fundraiser, uh, or we'll have a link for the fundraiser in the episode description. Um, So, funds from non Teamsters are not used in union election campaigns. Sorry, we can't do that. I would love to. But they support education and legal defense programs to protect workers' rights. So TDU has been doing uh, an insane amount of work without any, like, glorious uh, results for a while now. Um, And, you know, knock on wood, it sounds like the work's going to pay off this election. And then, of course, the real work begins but even if it doesn't, they are there doing uh, education, uh, legal defense, um, and and helping build networks between Teamsters. So please dig deep. This is not, you know, we all love charity. We're all good people. This is not charity. This is an investment in the workers' movement. And uh, so goes the Teamsters. So goes everyone. I mean, it really is uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. I'm really, really, uh, really, really ruined for you. Fingers crossed. It's looking good.
1: I can't thank you enough. For anybody who gives anything to TDU, please remember TDU is a rank and file movement built by rank and filers to support other rank and filers and educate them. Please do that. Please give. I give. I give, I give every year. All of us do. Uh, and it's a great resource. I can't thank you enough, enough, Amber, for allowing me to come on and speak with you about it.
0: Of course, always. And uh, we will check in at the end of this election, too, to see how everything's going. All right. Thanks so much, Matt Maney. Uh, We will talk to you later. Bye.
1: Yep. Take care, Amber.